Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the Aronex podcast and the third and final episode of the trilogy as I travel around the Baltic Sea courtesy of Finnish Ropax and Roro operator Finlines. My name's Craig Eason, I'm the editor of the Fathom World website and host of this, the Aronex podcast. I got the chance to travel around the Baltic Sea when I was invited to join the team of Sea Focus's Intelligence Hunt. The plan was to go on board one of the Finlines vessels, the one travelling from Helsinki to Travermund in Germany, and have both a workshop to plan the growth of the intelligence hunt as well as, well, to take a trip at sea. But it became clear to me that rather than fly to Finland and then to fly home from Germany, I could just as easily go on Finlines vessels almost all the way, taking a ferry from Stockholm to Nantali in Finland, then from the Finnish capital Helsinki to Travermunda, and then from Germany back to Sweden, to Malmö in the south, where I could take a train back to Stockholm and then home. Three trips, three episodes, three chances to talk to seafarers working on Finlines vessels. Finlines said yes, so off I went, getting a chance to hear from the seafarers, to record their thoughts about the future, and also to use the trips to paint a picture of the Baltic Sea as well. The Baltic Sea isn't very big, but it is special. You'll have heard in the last episode about its health, and have got the idea of some of the geopolitical positions it also holds. Exploding pipelines, increased military presence, and the mix of economic opportunities too. And a little bit more about that later. But first, I'll just mention the intelligence hunt for a second more, because I think this is a special thing. Something I've not really seen anywhere else. Intelligence Hunt is about matching university students, students that have a desire to do more than just get a good academic qualification, with organisations that see the benefit in gaining two things, an outside perspective from bright minds and an opportunity to meet new brains looking for the next generation roles. Intelligent Hunt is a win-win experience as teams of students work on a challenge set by our case company. And the thing is, it's not a nice little academic challenge. What this is about is getting students to work hard at real industry challenges, to get experience, exposure, the opportunities in the workforce, while the companies get fresh ideas and an eager team wanting to oppress. The setup is structured with mentors and set goals with the students working closely with the companies in question. Anyway, back to where I am now in this final episode of the Baltic Insight Trilogy. Having travelled from Stockholm to Nantley on Finline's vessel Europa Link, I'd then joined Finlady on the second episode to go from Helsinki to Travermunde in Germany, where we had the Intelligence Hunt workshop. We arrived in Travermund at about 11 o'clock at night and I literally went to the terminal gatehouse and then back to the quayside when the wonderfully named Finfellow came alongside to offload trucks and trailers from Malmö and quickly reloading and heading off again about three hours later back to Sweden. So at about 2.30 in the morning the ship left Travermundo for the seven or eight hour trip to Malmö and after a short sleep in a cabin I'm up searching for some coffee getting let onto the bridge often the best place to find the best coffee. We are at this point heading towards the famous Öresund Bridge that was built over one of the two waterways leading into the Baltic Sea. 
I can't see it. This is February. There's thick fog and evidence of a cold, constant drizzle on the bridge windows. The bridge connects Sweden and Denmark at Copenhagen, which is on Denmark's largest island, called Zealand. On the west of Zealand is the Great Belt, the other route into the Baltic Sea, the route most vessels, particularly the large ones, take. The Orosund is the narrower and shallower of the two routes. The channel in the Orosund under the bridge allows for a draft of up to about nine metres, but vessels have an air draft, that's the maximum height of all its structures. For the Orosund, it's 55 metres above the waterline. By comparison, the Great Belt route, the shipping route to the west of Zealand, has a deeper draft of about 15 metres and an air draft of 65 metres, and that's due to another bridge, the Great Belt Bridge, linking Zealand with the west of Denmark. As Finfellow heads towards the Orosund, I can see the bridge pylons and caissons emerging out of the thick fog that we're sailing in. The caissons are protected by man-made islands around them to prevent vessels colliding with the bridge. And yes, as someone will point out, there is a third way into the Baltic Sea. It's through the Kiel Canal. This is a 98-kilometre-long stretch, roughly, of man-made waterway, built in about 1895, and it links Kiel on Germany's Baltic Sea coast with Brunsbüttel on Germany's North Sea coastline and at the mouth of the Elbe River, the river that leads to Germany's largest port, Hamburg. The Kiel Canal isn't insignificant when it comes to ship traffic in the Baltic. About 30,000 vessels use it annually, as the eight-hour transit saves about 280 nautical miles compared to sailing around the north of Denmark and into the Baltic. And again, there are draft and size limits for the vessels, as the canal has a depth of about 11 metres, and with locks on either side of the canal, there's a length limit too. Now another interesting point here, the port town of Kiel lies just north, about 61 kilometres north of Lübeck and Travemunde, where I am. And in between the two ports is the island of Fehrmann. This is going to be the location of a controversial new tunnel, the longest immersed tunnel in the world, I've seen claimed. And it's going to be a link between Germany and Denmark and the Orison Bridge to Sweden. So, from about 2029, when the Fermen Tunnel is built and opened, there will be road routes to compete with the ferries, ferries that already compete with each other, shuttling the goods and passengers across the south part of the Baltic Sea. Now, as I said, thanks to thick fog, I'm totally unable to see the Urusund Bridge until the pylons emerge a few metres in front of the Finfellow. But obviously the crew are not sailing on sight alone, the bridge, the buoys, the fairway are as clear as anything on the Ekdison radar, as are a lot of other things, making me realise just how busy this area is with a growing array of wind farms, tourist areas, environmental sites and shipping lanes. All of this activity and the site of wind farms on the charts makes me think about spatial planning and how the commercial activities of the Baltic Sea are coordinated. Back to the bridge of Finfellow and the last two hours of my Finline's trip. With caffeine beside me, I meet up with the first of the two youngest officers on board the vessel to talk about what they think about the shipping industry and its future. I'm up on the bridge and the officers are here in a quite grey day taking us almost to due north in the final two hours of this uh, this trip. With me is Frederick Lundqvist, your second mate 
on this vessel. How long have you been working on Finfellow? Well, a year now. Uh, we changed flag from uh, Finnish to Swedish flag uh, in the end of January 2022. And uh, then we took her down to Malmö and uh, replaced Europa Link. You are the youngest officer on board at the moment. When did you sit your ticket? I'm interested to hear what the sort of education is that you have in Sweden to become an officer. Uh, well, I'm actually from Finland, so my education is from Finland, uh, but it's more or less the same. Uh, so it's four years of uh, of uh, higher education uh, in a university uh, to become a master mariner uh, or captain. So I started my career in 2018 uh, to become, become a captain, and then I got my certificates uh, in the end of 2022. Did you come straight from school or did you do something, anything else before you became a seafarer? Uh, no, I'm actually I started when I was 16 in, uh, in maritime school uh, to become an uh, AB, uh, able seaman. And then I worked for a couple of years before I uh, continued uh, further to study as a captain. So what do you think of the, the industry so far? One of the things I'm asking people as I go around and meet seafarers today is how they see all the technology and how they see all the changes and what they think of the future. Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, well, I think the future is bright. I mean, there's always going to be work. And since the Earth is uh, mostly made of water, uh, the, the ships will still sail and uh, we'll have jobs, I'm certain of. One of the things about I've seen from being on the three Finland vessels and from my own career at sea is the working environment on board. There's a kind of camaraderie with the other crew members that you've got. You become a bit of a family, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have uh, we have a small family on board. Uh, so it's always kind of fun to go back to work because you always have the same colleagues uh, that you work with. and. Uh, Right here on board on Finfellow, we have a really great crew, really good uh, seamanship. And, uh, How does the watchkeeping work on this vessel then? Uh, because obviously, when a deep sea, you get into a sort of rhythm of yeah. you know, 12 to 4 or the 4 to 8. But yeah. here, when you're running between Travam and, uh, and Malmö, and it's only a, yeah. seven and a, half hour, seven and a half hour to 8 hour. Yeah, we have an eight, eight and a half hour uh, journey, but... Uh, and then how long are you in port on each side? Through. Uh, normally we are about three hours in port on each side. Uh, so we work... Uh, we take one, one uh, loading each, uh, and then we have uh, maybe four hours uh, of uh, bridge watch, as we call okay. it. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and then... Uh, but now, when we have this time schedule uh, that we call the night rider, uh, we are only one and a half hour in Travemünde and uh, almost five hours in Malmö. So then, one officer takes all the loadings, uh, and then the the other second officer takes the the driving or the sailing. Okay. Yeah. The bridge watch. Uh, so, is it better to be on the bridge watch then? Sit up here, away from all the 
diesel fumes. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I I like the, I like the loading and discharging. Uh, it's it's like uh, this uh, game Tetris. You know, so you always have to think. Uh, really quickly and when oh, where can I put this uh, car and where can I put this truck and uh, oh now we'll get five more trailers oh where to put them and stuff like that and so it's fun it's challenging sometimes and then you have the time schedule you, know, you have to depart maybe say like 10 o'clock and then it's half an hour uh, left and then like oh yeah now we have 20 more trucks okay and uh, 10 are late and you know you have to have to put them where where they want to be, and then some are electric, and you, you have to have cables for them. And uh, some are dangerous, of course. We have uh, maybe three to four uh, dangerous goods uh, or trucks with dangerous goods in them. And what do you have to do with the dangerous well, trucks? Yeah, we have to put them on, of course, the the decks where they belong. Uh, some trucks they they have to be on deck. Uh, that oh, means on on weather deck. Uh, so they can't be un under deck uh, because of yeah, because of the the dangerous class they have. How do you see the sort of the, the way that your the training needs to go? One of the one of the other aspects that I'm I'm looking at um, in my job as a shipping journalist, as a maritime journalist, is the kind of training that seafarers are going to need in the future. There's higher levels of kind of complex digital technologies there's a lot of talk about new fuels whether it's methanol ethanol ammonia hydrogen uh, batteries and that do you see a lot of changes and opportunities there or do you look at that and just think oh good god it's going to be hard i need to get retrained again uh i yeah both actually uh we always need to to upgrade ourselves of course and need to you know do some uh, more training uh, over the years, uh, so I think that's just natural, so, and I want to learn new things as well. So, but at the same time, you know, I think the technology is is uh, it's happening quite fast, and maybe too fast for the industry sometimes. So just before I leave Finfellow, um, I'm here with uh, Jonathan Lindblom. You're the second engineer. Yeah, second engineer on this ship, yeah. yes. Yeah. How, old, how old are you? I'm a 26. 26. How long have you been at sea? I have been at sea since uh, 2015. Okay. Yeah. So most of your... You went from school to I went. Uh, I went uh, from... Uh, uh, I was working uh, inland in different uh, companies with uh, metal working and welding and this stuff. Then I went to school and when I was studying I was also working on uh, ships. What makes you want to be at sea? What for you is the really sort of interesting thing about being an engineer on a ship? Uh, it's the it's a pretty different kind of work depend uh, when I comp compare it to working at land it's different and uh, uh, you have more uh, more uh, very varying kind of work and what do you think about all the technology that we're likely to see coming into the industry I don't know whether you follow a lot of the maritime news but people are talking about new fuels so there's a number of ships already been using um, LNG yeah. Um, but now there's talk about methanol and ammonia and hydrogen and batteries 
and even new technologies like carbon capture to be able to capture the CO2 that comes out of the funnel. As a sort of somebody starting your career at sea, is this exciting for you or is it kind of scary? It's, I don't really know uh, what I should, how I should answer it. I have so much uh, stuff to still learn about this uh, engineering work, so I haven't really had the time to put myself in into what uh, this whole of changing of fuels and everything like here we used still a heavy fuel oil and and diesel and uh, there is much for me to learn about that so maybe further down uh, in my career i get to study more into uh, maybe working on the lng lng ships and this so i don't really know right now mm. how i haven't uh, done any own research in it yeah. so. But in your in your heart, do you, do you think this is going to be an exciting career ahead of you? Yeah, I think there is many possibilities. If you have a, if you have the if you have the drive and a, a little bit of luck, you can go go yeah. uh, pretty far. And do you, do you think this is a career that you would recommend to others who wanted to? Yeah, if to see? Uh, if, uh, if you you should. Uh, I think you should go and uh, if if you are interested in ships and shipping, you should go and get this uh, practice time first and uh, try to see as much as possible and then uh, maybe decide that do you want to put uh, many years in school and then uh, climbing up as an engineer or, or whatever it is. In shipping, and this is what you want to do, is it? Do you want to go? I want to go. Uh, yeah, and then I want to go as far as possible. I have now uh, to get uh, the first engineer and chief engineer papers. So I, I want to see how far I can take it and see if I still have the same uh, interest uh, every year. So I would keep going as long. Well, Jonathan, thank you very much for thank you. spending a few minutes yep. with me. Much appreciated. Thank you. After my quick chat with Frederick Lundqvist, Finfellow's second engineer, I watched from the bridge as the rope packs heads into Malmö. The vessel has quite a few lorries and trailers on board, and I see the drivers in the restaurant area grabbing their own coffee and breakfast before they head towards the doors to the cargo deck once the vessel's in port. My guess is that these drivers probably appreciate getting the much-needed and probably obligatory rest from long-distance driving by taking a ferry and having a cabin to sleep in rather than staying on motorways to drive through tunnels and bridges to make the journey and sleep in laybys. I mentioned also how we had to remain in a fairway under the Orissant Bridge and how there are all these other activities in the region. There's more besides that I couldn't see represented on the electronic charts or the ECDIS. For example, I've recently met up with the CEO of a company wanting to suck up the rare earth metal nodules that litter the seafloor in another part of the Baltic Sea. There's also the huge interest in aquaculture and even harvesting the swathes of algae that grow in the Baltic in the summer. I've seen and mentioned the wind farms, but also the growing number of companies in the region building wave and tidal power generators. And there's a huge number of protected areas in the region. Nature reserves, marine parks, as well as restricted military areas, pipelines and underwater cables. Altogether, all of this has the potential to impact each other. So it has to be coordinated, particularly in the Baltic Sea, where hundreds of thousands of voyages are made by vessels crisscrossing the regional waters every year. This coordination is known as marine spatial planning and it's important as it helps prevent two activities competing for the same resource area from there being unintended environmental consequences. 
Now in the Baltic, there's an organization working to ensure the littoral countries of the Baltic work together to sustainably get the most of their sea areas. It's called VASAB, where VASAB stands for Vision and Strategies Around the Baltic Sea. It's an intergovernmental cooperation in spatial planning and development. Its work is very much in the background for about 21 years and it's got partnerships with a growing number of other intergovernmental bodies looking at everything to do with the Baltic Sea and the countries and their ambitions. FASAB's work has led to a collaborative vision towards 2040, bearing in mind all the activities that are being planned in the Baltic Sea region in the coming years. In my research, I got to talk with VASAB Deputy Head of Secretariat, Alina Vidamane, on the importance of maritime spatial planning. If you were like a person just visiting the seaside, probably see there is there are no physical borders or fences uh, on the sea. So meantime, there are fishes that are living there, there are ships or even pollution that is flowing across the sea disregard any border that people have set on the maps or navigation maps. So it means that any developments at one spot on the sea may cause an impact in another. Uh, so there is a need for effective cooperation, for joint understanding or even joint actions among countries, politicians or also stakeholders. And here comes the maritime special planning, uh, which is a process and a tool at the same time that helps to balance various interests and uses uh, that are competing for marine space and but which need also to protect the marine environment and also to achieve social and economic objectives. Uh, maritime special planning also brings together various stakeholders from national level, from local level, also from other countries, from other sectors, so they can come together and discuss the perspectives of developments at the sea. And uh, yeah, uh, you know, you notice that you have, you said that you noticed some uh, wind parks, uh, some, you, you have learned about the maps, and, but yeah, there are a lot, much more interests at the sea uh, that probably cannot be noticed uh, at the first glance. Yeah, you mentioned nature protection sites. Yeah, they're, they're trying to protect ecosystems or species or even specific sites that are important for breeding, for example. There are cables on, at the sea bottom, which of course cannot be noticed uh, from the surface. There is underwater heritage that should be uh, preserved. Uh, in some places there could be established aquaculture sites where uh, fish or mussels or seaweed can be grown and harvested. Also offshore wind parks, as you mentioned, and this has become quite important also in the Baltic Sea due to the energy crisis and also due to the demand for renewable and independent energy. Shipping itself, it also requires safe passages, so to make sure that ship can go safely to, to the port. So, as you see, there are many, many interests that can take place at the sea and that should be somehow coordinated to ensure that they can function in balance with each other, meantime, without putting at risk uh, the maritime ecosystem. And here I can say that uh, countries around the Baltic Sea uh, has agree have agreed to cooperate and work together and to ensure coherent maritime spatial planning processes. And as for today, we can say that all European Union member states that are located around the Baltic Sea, they have prepared their maritime spatial plans 
uh, for their territorial waters and exclusive economic zones. So um, these plans are long-term planning documents that uh, outline uh, significant or even uh, potential areas that are important for natural or cultural values, uh, areas for production, areas for shipping, for tourism. So they are trying to balance the needs of different sectors and also to enhance the management of maritime industries and also enhance the, uh, like the state of maritime environment at the same time. So how is that going to kind of materialize? Because with, with so many states kind of having their own ideas of what they want to do in their territorial waters. And uh, we need to bring Russia into that equation at some point as well, um, when you can, I imagine. But how is that process? Uh, I read about, I've seen the VASAB vision. So how does that mean and how is that going to kind of involve the future of the Baltic Sea? Yeah, we talked about countries, but if we talk about VASAB, then we can a little bit zoom out and because VASAB is working at a macro-regional level and it is intergovernmental cooperation on spatial planning and development in the Baltic Sea region. So it's it's like a, it serves like a platform for discussions and knowledge exchange on, on those issues. Uh, VASAB Vision 2040, it sets a long-term comprehensive perspective on how the Baltic Sea region, also its territories, will uh, develop in the future. It observes the sea and the land around it, as well as uh, land-sea interactions. It also tackles uh, the trends and challenges uh, like that we are facing already today, but might also expect in the future. And these are like demographic challenges, climate change impacts, digitalization, and of course also how to cope with consequences from war on Ukraine. And besides the VASAB, uh, Vision 2040 proposed potential future actions that could be implemented jointly with stakeholders. And you see that cooperation also prevails here. And what's important, I think, is to mention that uh, VASAB Vision looks at the sea and the land together. And such comprehensive outlook of the region, we see, is crucial because processes that have an impact on the sea quite often start on the land or resources or materials coming from sea are used, used by humans on the land. So we cannot distinguish separately the land from the marine waters if you want a sustainable and prosperous region. So, uh, and uh, such a long-term visions also are necessary to prepare or even to be ready for future challenges that might come and also they help to build a common understanding about countries and stakeholders at macro regional scale about what actually we would like to achieve in our region in the future. Alina Wiedemane from VASAB talking to me about the importance of the countries of the Baltic talking to each other as they make sure that maritime spatial planning policies for the Baltic Sea are collaborative and ensure the sea remains safe, prosperous and of course able to recover environmentally from decades of abuse. Well, the third of my trips on Finland's vessels draws to a close as Finland's Finfellow slides into Malmö from the bridge I see the bow doors open, the lines go ashore, the ramp come down and I'm off to the train station to head to Stockholm and home. In the four days I spent with Finlines I met with staff, young and well more experienced. 
captain of the Finlady took his first trip to sea the same year I took mine. Some of the crew had come straight from maritime academies, some had worked in other industries first and got a slightly different perspective of the future. I got to hear from them their thoughts about the future of the shipping industry. I got to talk to them about the work they do day in, day out on the Baltic Sea. As Swedes and Finns, I also got to understand a little bit about how they feel about the Baltic Sea and everything that's happening with it. I also got to look at the Baltic Sea from a broader commercial perspective, where shipping will fit into its future, and the hard work and agreement the countries and businesses need to make to ensure that the Baltic can remain healthy for all of us. This is, after all, the sea that I take my children to swim in during the late summer months when the water is warm enough to do so. So it would be great if there were not the carpets of algae and that the opportunities to see a green Baltic Sea are there for them in the future. And while I end with my thoughts on the next generation, another quick plug for Sea Focus and the Intelligence Hunt. If you're from a company that wants to connect with entrepreneurial university students that are forming the teams in the Intelligence Hunt, take a look at seafocus.international. Just type in seafocus as one word, then a dot, then international, and you can read about the Intelligence Hunt. So this is me, Craig Eason, host of the Aeronex podcast, editor of the Fathom World website and industry newsletter, signing off from Finfellow. I wish all those I met on this journey and all my journeys fair winds, calm seas, bon voyage.